Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Five Rings to Rule Them All. I'm Sid Ziegler. A few months ago, one of my guests was Stephanie Zaza, who uh, used to be with the Center for Disease Control, the CDC, here in the United States. And we talked about what the next few months might look like for this pandemic in the United States, as well as the possibility that the Olympics might be held later this summer. And just about every single word that Stephanie said came true, from the opening and closing and opening and closing of businesses to uh, how long total lockdowns were going to happen, obviously the Olympics not happening. So I wanted to have her back on to talk about what the next year of sports might look like. Will we have high school sports this fall? What do we need to do to, to make that happen? Or college sports? How about contact sports like playing football? And as well, we talk about what has to happen to see the Olympics take place in 2021. And she says there's only one way that's going to happen. And uh, <laughs> keep your fingers crossed. Stephanie is currently the president of the American College of Preventive Medicine and has her finger on the pulse of the current pandemic. Anyhow, here is my conversation with the incredibly insightful Stephanie Zaza and her crystal ball. Well, I'm here now with Stephanie Zaza, who, as I said, uh, is a genius. Um, Stephanie, I, 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 I kind of would love to see what crystal ball you have because it is, it, it is just impossible to have any better given us a preview of what the last three months were going to look like. And what's surprising to me is that I don't believe that you have you have personally lived through a pandemic like this in the United States. So I just I, how did how did you get this all right? I, I guess that's a crazy question because you're well educated and you've seen this. But have you seen this play out elsewhere? Like, like what what did you take to extrapolate and get this so right? Well, thank you. I. Um... I don't know that I had a crystal ball. I think I would call the crystal ball public health, um, a public health education and career and understanding how infectious diseases can play out theoretically through a population was very important because no one has lived through a pandemic like this in the United States, except for a very few people who experienced the 1918 pandemic influenza and are still alive today to tell us about it. The trick, I don't know if that's the right word, but the, the idea was three months ago when we talked that we didn't want to have to lock everything down. It was really the very last tool that we ever wanted to use, but we needed to do that to buy ourselves some time to do some work in preparing for what was inevitable. And the timing, was following the timing that we were hearing from infectious disease and public health experts. So I, I think that reading the, the information that experts were providing and making sure that we were attending to that data, and also knowing that we were gonna have to adjust quickly as new information was coming out. There was so little known about this particular infection and what we've learned, the amount of science that has been produced 
is extraordinary and having to flex with that has been very difficult. And I think we're seeing some of that difficulty play out. So one of the many things that, that you got so right is I kind of asked you, you know, how long is this going to go on for? Um, how are we going to learn more um, and, and when to kind of quote unquote open up businesses? And you said it's going to be fits and start. It's going, some people are going to try something. It's not going to work. Other people will try other things. It will work. As you're looking at now how different states and different municipalities are looking at opening up businesses and events, um, how long is this give and take, opening and closing, push and pull, going to continue? Well, I, I do think it's going to continue for quite a while, and I'll tell you why. I think that we probably didn't communicate well enough at the beginning of all this, that the major lockdown wasn't to prevent every case that would ever happen. It was to buy time to do something so that when we started to reopen, we'd know what to do when we saw cases. Now that we're seeing cases, it's going to be this very flexible, open things up, close things down as we have to, but we may, I, I think the hope is, we won't have to shut down the entire society like we did before, because now we have the means to control the outbreak as it's happening if we do this carefully. So in states where you see this happening, states and, and communities where you see this happening carefully, with slow opening, kind of test the waters, move back a little bit, I think you'll see a manageable number of cases. In, in places where things either never shut down or are reopening very quickly and, and suddenly and everything's opening, you're going to see these big fast surges. And then they're going to have to either really clamp down in really big ways or keep dealing with lots and lots of cases all at once. So I think that we're going to be seeing this for a while um, in a number of communities. And we're going to, I think we're going to be seeing it until we have a vaccine or well, we'll see more cases if we have a an effective therapy, which actually was part of that preparedness segment we've just been through. A lot was learned about how to treat this um, a, a little bit more effectively. And so um, with the treatment, we'll still see a lot of cases, but hopefully fewer deaths, hopefully. Um, with a vaccine, then we'd be able to see the ability to open up uh, more broadly and more completely. I say that as we're also going to be entering the seasonal flu time, which will start to happen in September, October in the Northern Hemisphere. And also as we might see other outbreaks of things happen, other respiratory viruses. So when we enter seasonal flu season, we're also entering cold season for regular colds, and it will be much harder to distinguish between those different kinds of infections. So I think that's uh, a risk. One of the benefits is hopefully we learn as a society how to do this effectively, quickly, and with the support of the community, no matter what the infection is. Um, so this won't be the last time we see a dangerous infectious disease move through a population, and hopefully we have a better understanding 
of how we can protect ourselves and our fellow community members uh, by taking steps to be a little less uh, out in society, less frequently, smaller groups um, on occasion. We may see that society moves in a more protective kind of way whenever we see something coming. You talk about um, hopefully treatments and different things, lowering the mortality rate, lowering the severity. And I was listening to uh, somebody who, and I don't remember who exactly was, but he, he, he works in the major hospital in Houston. And he said that this, they are experiencing a quote unquote second wave of infections and that, and that this group of infections is much younger people and that their stays in the hospital are much shorter and the mortality rate the, so far amongst these younger people that they're experiencing is also lower. And I'm, I'm wondering, you know, we, we hear about building a herd immunity and, you know, um, trying to manage something that way. Is it, if, if, if the average hospital stay is lower for people under 40 and the mortality rate is so much lower for people under 40 or 50 or whatever the quote unquote cutoff is um, that you're going to look at, is it a good idea to have young people just start getting this. And I, I, you know, I, I heard Dr. Fauci say this week that he thinks kids should go back to school. Is it a good idea for younger people to get this and, and build towards some kind of herd immunity? Is there benefit to that? I'm never a proponent for purposeful natural infection to cause herd immunity if, for example, if there's a vaccine available. So it, it's impossible to control. Right. So the the latest data we're seeing is that younger children are not as susceptible and they may be less likely to transmit the infection to other people in their household. They're more likely to get it from somebody in their household. Um, but the real risk is that uh, these young people are not um, little islands unto themselves. They're they're They could. So people say between the ages of 15 and 25, um, we don't see necessarily data that supports the fact that they may transmit less. And so the real risk is, is perhaps to their susceptible and potentially highly vulnerable household contacts. So you think about um, their parents or elderly grandparents or people with chronic diseases in their home. Um, and it doesn't really do anything to protect staff, faculty, and coaches. If we, you know, if we eventually uh, want to turn this conversation towards sports. So I do think that um, we have to think about um, who, we're, who we're trying to protect. Um, granted, kids and, and young people may have uh, a, a less severe uh, disease, but if they do happen to transmit it to somebody who's susceptible to severe disease, then that could be a disaster. Um, I wouldn't want to have to wrestle with that um, sort of moral angst um, if I were to transmit the infection to somebody that I cared about who then died. Um, so it's complicated, but um, you know, schools may not be the place where a lot of community transmission is happening, uh, especially among the younger children under 15. 
Um, so opening schools may be a possibility there, especially if there's a low rate of infection in the community. For the purpose of creating herd immunity, I'm just not sure that it's uh, going to be particularly effective. What we saw happening in Sweden was that the same pattern of less severe disease among young people, but they have a very high case fatality rate because they, because when you're doing that, you can't isolate younger people from the older people who are more susceptible. Well, you, you, you're turning us towards sports, and it's the question that I get more than anything else. Are we going to see high school and college football this year? And as what I haven't seen yet, is a plan for how these teams are going to deal with um, a player on the defensive line testing positive on a Tuesday um, in week three. Mm-hmm. What is your perspective of fall sports and particularly contact sports like football? And, 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 and I mean, what are the chances that we're going to see football? Well, Football, the, the contact sports, I think, are the, are the big question mark, right? So the nature of the sport really makes a difference. If we're talking tennis, where the players are pretty far apart and the, the official is up on a chair uh, and, and separate, you don't really have um, the same kind of close sustained contact between the players um, and then also between the officials and the players, right? Again, you may see transmission among teams and young people who have a lot of infections, but they're not particularly sick. Um, And then you have one official who goes down hard, Um, or you have a coach who, you know, if a whole team becomes infected um, or they take it home. So I think it's that kind of question, how you handle a player. What we're seeing happening are that schools and school athletic associations are wrestling with this very question um, to try to understand what they will do in week three when somebody tests positive on one team. Do they go back? How far do they go back to testing not only that team, but any opposing teams that they face? How far out do they go to officials and coaches and staff? Um, And then what the question then sort of out from there is what is their plan with uh, respect to spectators? Are they going to have spectators or not? Um, How are they going to manage that? How are they going to control that? It's, I think, also going to be related to, in some places, whether or not schools reopen and connecting with the the academic part of the decision-making is also going to be important. So I think there are all these pieces that have to play out. I haven't, like you, I haven't seen anything at a national level coming out to provide guidance. I suspect that that would be in the works to at least provide some some guardrails for um, colleges and high schools to try to put in place. Um, But I do think this is happening much more at a state and local level. I know, for example, in Colorado, the state education agency is trying to decide how to make recommendations to local school districts. Separately, the school athletic association, the statewide athletic association is preparing guidelines for fall sports. 
some teams are starting to practice. And I think, again, that depends on what's going on in the community, how many cases. If there's a raging outbreak, it would probably be a bad idea. If things are pretty calm, it may be okay to begin the process. I know it's getting late in the summer to hope for um, more guidance to come down. But I, I know I know in Colorado that the school association is, the athletic association is working on this. I don't know if like the NCAA is trying to put something out. Seems like that would be a good idea. And the, the things I would say that they have to look at are the nature of the sport with respect to close and sustained contact between the players, how the officials interact with the players, and what is their uh, plan to ameliorate spectators? To me, those are the three big questions. And, and one of them, uh, you know, we talk about, again, the low mortality rate of kids in the 18, 19, 20, mm -hmm. 21, but a lot of the coaches in high school and college and the officials, as you said, are in their 50s, 60s, and sometimes even in their 70s. And that's just been a big question. I had somebody say, well, just tell everybody over 60 that they can't participate this year. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that's one way to tackle it. But I, I, it's uh, again, I, it, I struggle to figure out how a team is going to deal with an outbreak in the middle of a week and you have a nationally televised game that Saturday and then do you quarantine the team that you just played? I, I, I just, it, 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 you get into this loop and I find it's almost like survival of the fittest to see what team can okay. possibly get through 10 games without just losing their entire team at some point. I think that's a really important question. It goes back to what we were talking about earlier, this idea of being really flexible and saying we're going to open things and shut them down. You know, we're going to loosen and tighten these restrictions. That makes it really hard when you have a 10-week season with a specific um, schedule and things are at stake here. <laughs> people's, people's careers and, uh, and in some cases, livelihoods and their ability to maintain uh, a season is is going to be really, it doesn't really lend itself to this idea of loosening and tightening restrictions. On the other hand, we're in the middle of a pandemic. And so you do hope that there's some uh, sense of being able to flex with what's happening in this situation where people's careers, sporting careers are very much dependent on their age and, and development, especially in high school sports. I think it's, it's a really critical question and um, because you may miss really critical training and, and experiential time when you're at this age. So I, I think it's a, it's really quite difficult. And I, I don't envy the people who have to make these decisions. I think that the issue of the age of some of the officials and coaches is really playing itself out in the broader community in a really big way. If you have a sport where there is no possible way for the officials to say wear a mask to protect anybody themselves or anybody else because they're running up and down the field right it would not be physiologically possible to wear a mask and be a football official or a soccer official and in that situation what you end up with is a sense where people who haven't been infected but who may be susceptible and vulnerable are the ones that have to make all the sacrifices by not participating so we're seeing that already playing out in society where it's like, look, if you're susceptible and you're worried, just stay home. It's like, yeah, but that puts all the onus on 
the older person, the person with a chronic infection, and none on the rest of society. So I think it is a bigger question, not just in sports, but in society at large, it plays itself out really visibly in sports. And to just say older people just shouldn't participate this year, I fear uh, particularly discriminatory and problematic. I've half joked that, that, and it's only been half joked by me that that a, a Division II conference like the RMAC with teams in South Dakota and Nebraska and New Mexico could end up getting primetime ESPN <laughs> slots because <laughs> they're more they're more they're from more rural areas. The outbreak may not be as bad there, and ESPN by week six could be just looking for just give us just give us a football game. <laughs> I'm not sure that would be a bad thing. I, you know, I went to a really small school, um, it was a, uh, had a good football program, and, uh, you know, it's nice for the smaller schools to get a little attention once in a while. I, I actually think it would be pretty, pretty cool. Um, yeah. So the, kind of the last, so um, great perspective on, 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 this, on sports and, and the idea of flexibility, and, and I think that's really a, amazing insight. Um, kind of the, the last thing that I, I want to circle around with you on um, which was kind of took up a lot of our talk last time. And again, you were spot on that you couldn't see the Olympics happening this year. Um, the Olympics are 13 months away. What has to happen between now and then for, for you to say, okay, I think this event uh, could legitimately happen with 180 countries and 10,000 athletes? The only sign I would be looking for is a sign that says, get your COVID-19 vaccine here. I think that for an event like that, that involves the entire world, you have to have a vaccine. And it, not only do you have to have a vaccine, you have to have a lot of it. And it has to be widely available to everybody who needs it. Um, not just because of the event itself, but when all those people come home and one person, even though almost everybody's been vaccinated, there's somebody who hasn't been, somebody gets it and they bring it home and they start the whole thing over again in a, in a country or a city or a town that hasn't been vaccinated. So I think you need an effective vaccine and or multiple effective different vaccines and you need a lot of it and you need every country to buy in. And I think that's a big order. Uh, I know that there's a lot of movement on all different kinds of vaccines by a lot of different companies. There is also a collaborative effort um, to plan for distribution of vaccine because it won't be available all at once for, you know, all of the billions of people on the planet. So um, a plan to prioritize and make sure that people are receiving the vaccine in, in a certain order, that there is equity um, in that distribution plan, and that we know who's purchasing it. Um, that effort is underway uh, and being led by the World Health Organization, which unfortunately, as you know, has been so deeply politicized um, that I think it's going to be a really challenging situation to get a vaccine made uh, manufactured in quantities that are realistic and distributed in ways that don't cause major conflict. You're not giving me a lot of hope, Stephanie. Uh, 
One of the things I keep seeing, and, and I'm going to butcher this, I know, but hopefully you know what I'm saying, is that um, there's never been a, a vaccine uh, mass produced for either a coronavirus or an RNA coronavirus. I don't know what the... Uh, I don't know what the exact specifics are, but essentially this has never happened before. Is that true or is that not true? There are some RNA virus vaccines. Uh, don't ask me to name them off the top of my head, um, but there has not been a coronavirus vaccine that has been successfully developed. Um, but those previous coronavirus outbreaks burned themselves out pretty quickly. Um, so I, I know that several companies are working on this and uh, have at least been publicly saying that they're having early success in at least moving into trials. So I do think that there is some hope for a vaccine. I don't think that that's hopeless. I think that the, uh, and I should also say that, that some companies have also started to ramp up their ability to manufacture it pending the science like they're not waiting to uh, find out the results before gearing up their manufacturing plants to make something which is a huge risk on their part but they're doing it um, so i think that manufacturing will be the rate limiting step how quickly they can make it but the most rate limiting step will be the politics of purchasing and distributing this vaccine across the world to everyone who needs it, regardless of income. And I think that's where we have a potential major breakdown if we can't figure that piece out. And that's with respect to getting it out extremely quickly so that events like the Olympics can get back online. In a more normal vaccine development schedule, it would take quite a long time, it would it would just roll out, it would take years to make sure every country was getting high vaccination coverage rates. We don't have the luxury of that if we want to continue having large events. And, and you know that that 13 month window, it really is less than that because you, mm -hmm. you have to have Olympic trials before you can have the Olympics. People have to qualify for the Olympics. So, mm -hmm. and some of those trials, I mean, it's very difficult to have trials with a month within the actual Olympics. So you're really looking at a window now of 11 or 12 months, not 13 months. And, and the dislike, what, and, and you're talking about so many more athletes because there are so many more athletes going to compete at national mm -hmm. trials. So, <laughs> my my head is spinning over this. Well, like your earlier example of seeing smaller teams from smaller markets in football, what we might see is an Olympics that is dominated by individual sports rather than team sports um, and sports where the officials don't need to be in close contact. So I think that, you know, maybe the shot put finals will be the most exciting thing we get to watch. That's it. Well, that's that's great, yeah. Because, yeah, there are events: javelin, tennis. Right. Um, maybe, you don't want to be too close to the javelin guy, right? That would hurt. <laughs> so you need, <laughs> and that would be cool. We get to see things that we don't normally pay that as much attention to, perhaps. So maybe that would be good. That's great. Yeah. Well, that's great. Listen, I, 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 the Olympics that just looks really different. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm trying to give you some optimistic ideas yeah. for how you do. <laughs> 
and Olympics <laughs> during a pandemic. Uh, well, Stephanie, I really appreciate your time. I know you've been doing a lot of traveling, and, and I really appreciate you fitting this in. But uh, again, you're 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 welcome back anytime. And and uh, just uh, do you have a- any parting thoughts for us? Well, I would just say, since you mentioned I was traveling, I was traveling safely in my car <laughs> uh, with just my husband. So I, I feel uh, compelled to make sure that we continue to pay attention to the fact that we're actually still in the first wave uh, of this outbreak. And we really never saw the end of that one. And I think what we're seeing is that we've opened up really quickly and it's been a problem. Finding ways to be flexible in every aspect of our lives is is just so important and I think that's just hard it's hard for people and it's hard for communities to rethink everything so patience is a true virtue in this situation and again you mentioned traveling and and one of the one of my big takeaways from our first conversation was you saying we are social beings you cannot expect people Mm -hmm. to lock themselves in their house for six months by themselves and I, 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 I repeated that to so many times. It doesn't mean get together with 50 people for a party. Um, but I remember you saying, if, if you need to see your neighbor, see your neighbor, because your mental health is so important. And we've seen that part of our conversation play out. Yes. And, you know, the small events, the having, having a cocktail in the afternoon with your neighbor on the deck seems like a really nice idea in the heat of summer. Uh, we did travel part to visit my husband's children and they are doing fine. They've been isolated. So we feel confident that we're all healthy and we're going to keep our activities limited while we're visiting and uh, make sure that we stay healthy and then drive back home. And that's uh, just the compromises we're willing to make in order to maintain those ties. And that's important. We have to keep doing that and being thoughtful and considerate in the process. Well, again, I, I, I'm, I'm glad you're able to see uh, his kids and, and, and be with family yeah. and see somebody. So again, thank you so much for your time. And, and, and Stephanie, you are, you are welcome back anytime you have something to share. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you so much, Sid. It's a pleasure. If you want to know more about Stephanie Zaza or the work of the American College of Preventive Medicine, you can go to their website. It's acpm.org. And I really appreciate Stephanie coming on here. I, I, I give her a tall task when she comes on and she really delivers. Like I said last time, she was so spot on. So it, I guess the coming days and weeks, we're going to learn a lot more about what the fall football schedule and other sports looks like. and. Hoping for that vaccine so that we can have the 2020 Olympics in 2021. Anyhow, thanks again for listening and hope you all had a great Independence Day weekend. And I look forward to talking with you next week. Bye.